Wouldn't it be great to have more margin to be intentional about staff development, coaching, transparency, and even for more time away from the job? In this Saturday cast, Academy member Amy McPherson shares how she's shifted as a business owner to do just that. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 429. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this is the weekly show to help you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. And this is the monthly Saturday cast. About once a month here, we air a episode here on a Saturday that is a chat with one of our Academy members or listeners. Uh, The next show is still coming on Monday. This is a Additional bonus episode and the Saturday casts are brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a year long cohort of participant leaders who work personally with me to create movement in their leadership development and organizational results. You can find out more and get alerted about opportunities to apply for the Academy by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy or just hitting the academy button on the very top of the coachingforleaders.com website. And today I am really excited to be able to feature the story of one of our Academy members. Amy McPherson is joining us on the Saturday cast today. She is the managing partner and founder of Advisors for Change. She started the business back in 2007 and her organization helps develop financial management systems for nonprofit organizations so they can spend more time on their mission and less time on their administration. And she is just finishing up her second year in the academy and moving on into her third year here shortly. Amy, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Dave. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, the pleasure is mine. It has been so much fun to work with you over these last two going into our third year together. And when you and I were talking recently about this episode, we were reflecting on where our relationship started. And you were telling me about just how you found the show originally. And I was wondering if maybe you could take us back to the beginning a few years ago when you first discovered the podcast. Do you recall how that happened? Sure. I have to say it feels like more than two years that I've been working with you because I started listening to the podcast about nine months before I started in the Academy. So I feel like it's been longer because I feel like I got to know you before I ever met you the first time. I found the podcast because my business partner and I were working to try to build the values and define the values for our organization and really trying to focus on leadership within our small company. And he said, oh, have you heard this podcast, Coaching for Leaders? You're going to love this guy. This is amazing. And I started to listen and I couldn't stop. Oh, wow. Great. So thank you, Tristan, for <laughs> for the, yeah. the connection. As you started listening, what initially caught your attention that ended up being useful to Tristan and you? And Tristan's your business partner, which I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll hear more yeah. about him in a bit here. What was useful right away that uh, got you thinking, gosh, I, I need to start putting some of this into practice? Yeah, I think the first episode we both listened to is Michael Bungay Stanier. I'm saying his name wrong. Yeah. Michael Bungay Stanier. And Tristan had read his book, The Coaching Habit, and I read it immediately after hearing him on the show. And we immediately implemented a more coach-like style with our uh, team members. It was a small team. It was only three at the time. We're 
we're now 10 people. So uh, that's a tribute to how well that's been working. We also heard Lisa Cummings' episode on Strengths Finder, oh, yeah. and immediately did that at our next team retreat. We had everyone take the assessment and adopted that very quickly. We also, we just, I felt like every week there was new information and I was like, oh, I'm going to implement that. I'm going to implement that. And that was, that ended up becoming part of the problem. I loved Kim Scott's <laughs> Radical Candor. We read that book right away. I loved Chris McChesney and we, we read Four Disciplines of Execution and started to implement that. And then we were kind of getting overwhelmed, which frankly led me to the academy because I was like, how do I, how do I pick? How do we not just jump from great idea to great idea, but actually do this more strategically. Yeah, and that is a challenge for a lot of us in this community and even who listen to the show that we hear all these good ideas and there's a tendency to kind of jump at all the different things and not necessarily always look at the big picture. And it really does take some discipline to do that. I am really curious how you did that. And I'm also curious on some of the things you just mentioned and some of the experts because you have implemented a lot of these with great success. And I think almost all of us hear the models like from Michael Mungay Stanier and StrengthsFinder and Kim Scott's message and Radical Candor and want to implement it. But you've really had success doing that. And I'm, I'm curious, when you think about like the coaching habit, for example, what's the mindset shift that you and Tristan made that maybe is there now in your organization that wasn't there around coaching two or three years ago? I think it was really the mind shift between the distinction between management and leadership and how to be more leaderful in terms of how we interacted with the team and give people more space to do their work, to have their own ideas about how to do the work and create a framework with, within which they could work that gave them enough boundaries and kind of enough rules of the road wasn't so prescriptive that we were in the ha- we were micromanaging. And I can't say we were entirely micromanaging before we found the coaching habit, but we certainly were micromanaging a lot more than we do now. And the little wins along the path of seeing how excited everyone got, feeling more empowered in their work, just kept motivating us to do more and more to give people space to be their best selves at work. Which I'm guessing in your organization isn't always the easiest thing to do because, of course, you do a lot of work on accounting and there's some very clear boundaries and rules uh, that you and your organization need to follow as far as how you serve your partners well. Uh, And yet, you do want to give people that flexibility. How did you thread that needle to provide that appropriate level of autonomy, but at the same time to make sure that the standards are there and that the best practices are there? That's a really good question. And of course, it's a perpetual challenge. It's not, it's not a one and done situation. But the, the first time we had enough people to actually hold a staff retreat, the topic of the day was teaching and learning because we realized that we can hire really great technical accountants and we have a lot of really great technical accountants and people who have done financial management in nonprofit organizations. So they're bringing lots and lots of experience to the table. But what we weren't as facile at was the ability to work with the people who work at our partners' organizations to help them in the same way. Like we needed to teach our team how to coach the people they're working with. So we're not your typical outsourced nonprofit, outsourced financial management service. 
we don't come in and say, we'll just do your books for you. We come in and say, let us help you build a system you can sustain and you can maintain. And so it became imperative and obvious to us that not only did we need people who could do the technical pieces, we needed people who are willing to coach the people at the organizations they were working with. So we all had to have a mind shift, not just me and Tristan, but the entire team had to have that mind shift of we're here to help and we're here to serve. And how can we build trust and have conversations that aren't just creating people who are being enabled in the organizations, but people who are who are embracing the process and able to grow into it themselves. It's one of the things I was so excited about when you and I first connected is just how innovative you're being in the space of doing what a lot of firms look at as very traditional accounting. But what you just described there, I think, is a perfect example of that. It, it wasn't just tactically, how can we coach better? It was how can we bring coaching as a value into the organization? And I hope you don't mind me sharing this. I remember you've, you've told me stories of how you have your firm has done such a good job of that, that folks who are not accountants in some of your partner organizations have gone on to start careers in accounting and still worked either with that organization or even gone on and done more work in accounting because your team is so good at actually helping to develop the skill set for people and organizations to do that for themselves, right? That's right. And I used to keep track of the number of people and I don't do it that way anymore because it's a lot. And the part of it that's most satisfying to me is now it's not just me helping people find their passion and realize that they can be good at accounting and that it's a real skill that they can embrace. And you know, a lot of people are very concrete thinkers and they find themselves in nonprofits in kind of amorphous jobs and they are very happy when they get to the land of sometimes there's a right and wrong answer that we have over here in accounting. And ironically, Tristan is one of those people. I was working with a client that needed a full-time finance director and I had helped them developed the job description and had been providing interim services. And then we did a big job search to try and find the right person to fill the job. And Tristan was not a trained accountant. He had a master's in public administration, but he you know, wasn't specifically an accounting major. And But he was the smartest person I interviewed. And I said, let's hire, let's hire the smartest person we can get and teach them what they need to know, rather than hiring someone who has a very set fixed mindset around how things should be because the system that organization had had been built by a very skilled accountant, but was so complex, they couldn't maintain it. They were three months behind when I walked in the door and I couldn't get them caught up with all the help in the world because the system was just way too burdensome. So ironically, that was now eight years ago that Tristan was hired at that organization and he worked there successfully for many years. And you know, ultimately did really grow to love accounting. And after a couple other job changes came to join me as my partner uh, two and a half years ago. Uh, and it's such a great example of the importance of people skills and leadership, even in a discipline that we think of as a very hard skill set and a lot of numbers like accounting, that that isn't enough today. It's It's not enough just to crunch the numbers. So much of that can be done these days through automation. It's now the people side, it's the decision processes, it's being able to set the vision, it's being able to have, build the relationships, as important as your work in your work as the numbers, aren't they? That's right. And we, you know, we're fortunate in the nonprofit space, every organization we work with has an external audit done by a CPA firm. 
So we know they're compliant. We, we know how to keep them compliant. We are not CPAs. We are managerial accountants. And so the technical piece can't be ignored. It is important, but we're able to help organizations with all the other skills it takes uh, nowadays. And so much of it is systems work. And there are so many systems that you could choose from and you can package them as groups. You can package them in, you know, in the middle, but there, a lot of the systems are now built for the, not the casual user, but the less trained user. QuickBooks started that trend into it many years ago. When I started in accounting, if you didn't know a debit from a credit, you were sunk because you were in DOS-based systems and you had to really know the technical way to get transactions done. Now, people don't need that. So it does become much more about context and how to make the numbers meaningful. And as we live in a world where people have much higher expectations around data quality and data visualization and how to manage information, really accounting just is financial information is just another data point for a lot of organizations. Well, speaking of data and numbers and systems, uh, one of the areas that I know you've shared with me that was really important early on was the work of Chris McChesney and the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, which you had heard about on the show, and the distinction between leading indicators and lagging indicators. What was important to you and the organization on that distinction? What isn't important? I mean, I think that, (laughs) you know, it's like when in accounting, here's an example I just ran into where I'm working with a relatively new client and they are managing their cash flow by how much money is in the bank account. And if that's not a lagging indicator, I don't know what is. <laughs> you need, mm. It's not about how much money is in the bank account. It's what are your obligations coming up in the next month? What money do you think is coming in in the next month? How can you influence when the money is going to show up? Because typically these are revenue challenges. And so you need to be way ahead of on your planning, you should know a month ago what you think your bank balance is going to be at the end of this month. And hopefully it's more, but hopefully it's never less. So that's one place where we see it. We also see it in the process that people go through. I had another relatively new client who I'm working with and a member of their board said, well, if we really need the board to scrutinize the audited financial statements, and I said, can we move that process up earlier to to get that report done and out to funders earlier in the process. And he said, well, you know, it's going to be six months after the end of the fiscal year. And my thought was, if your control is scrutinizing the financial statements six months after the end of the fiscal year, we're, we're focused in the wrong place. You should know before the end of the fiscal year what those numbers are going to be or close to. And so it's a huge mind shift from that looks like control and compliance to that person to look at the financials at the end of the year or six months after the end of the year. And I live in a place where I'm so used to, we know what those numbers are two or three months before the end of the year. And so I, I really missed the mark by not being clear with that person about how I, why I thought we'd be able to shift earlier because there's no, we're not going to wait until six months after the end of the year to, it's, you know, you have no influence on, on the outcome at that point. Yeah, and it is really interesting how many organizations and uh, and even people really operate only off of lagging indicators and think, you know, okay, here's the balance today, and what are we going to do as a result going forward, and not necessarily also thinking about what are the actions 
the leading indicators that I track today that will get me to the result I want to be at next quarter, next year. And this is actually a great lead into your experience coming to the academy because part of just this movement you've been doing over the last couple of years, I know the academy has been part of the framework for you. And I know you you really wanted to share some of the key things that you know have been helpful to you in going through that process. First of all, why did you decide to apply for the academy and and what's that process been like for you as far as what's emerged in the business? Yeah, well, I I decided to apply cuz I really again, I loved the podcast. I loved all the ideas that were flowing through the podcast and I could tell by the fact I wanted to implement every single one of them that I needed more help than I could get just doing it on my own. And I wanted the ability to take a more strategic approach to how were we making decisions for the good of our organization. Tristan had been my partner for, uh, I'm not sure how long then, like maybe a year. And he is fantastic, but he also was in the awkward position of trying to kind of manage up and that wasn't fair to him. So what I really, I turned to the academy think for primarily to get an independent sounding board. As a business owner, it is, it's lonely at the top. It's true what they say, right? And my top's not very high, but it still was kind of lonely in terms of having a way to make decisions because everybody has a vested interest in the outcome of those decisions. So to me, the academy seemed like an opportunity to get some impartial filters on making decisions would impact the whole group and have some like-minded people to bounce those ideas off of. The thing I turned that turned out to be entirely true because the thing that drives people to the academy, which I was hoping was true, is that, that they all relate to you, Dave, and how you think about leadership and how you think about creating space for people to become leaders and that it's leaders aren't born, they're made and anybody can do it. You just have to be willing to be intentional about it. And so that idea that it was possible for me to see myself as a leader of more than one or two or three people was really what motivated me to join. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. And once in a while, people ask me when we have the application somewhere for the Academy of do you find that it's really hard to screen people as far as like who are the right people? And I do find some parts challenging as far as the application screening, but people showing up with the right mindset is not a problem because <laughs> the kind of people, like you said, who listen to the show and are part of our community are the kind of people who you just described who really um, want to do a better job at leading, not just for themselves, but more importantly, they're, they're really their leading intention is almost always how do I do a better job for my organization and help people be more successful and be more coach-like and all the things you were mentioning? As you've gone through this process now, um, and by the way, we, I mentioned at the top, you're entering your third year into the academy, right. which we don't ask anyone to make a commitment over multiple years. It's a, it's a one-year commitment. You've continued uh, all this time. What's been useful to you as you've gone into that first year and, and now going into the second and third year? Uh, what has been most useful has been, there's three things that I really get the most out of. One has been that sounding board I was looking for, the like-minded people who can help me think through challenging situations that I'm in and how to address them. Simple things like, I just don't know how to have this conversation with a, with one of my team members or more challenging uh, things around strategy and 
you know, how to, how to pick a path. Having that impartial sounding board has been invaluable. The second thing is really the ability to practice coaching, the ability to watch you, Dave, as you are coaching others and realize the skills of listening and feedback and have a place like of like also still no judgment where you can actually, I can actually practice those skills as I'm listening to the challenges that my colleagues are facing. I can practice my ability to really hear them, to ask the, the curious question, to listen a little bit longer. And those are all skills that have served me in my day-to-day life. And the third piece is really the incremental check-in that you get with your approach where every two weeks when I show up, we've documented what I said two weeks ago I was going to accomplish, what I was going to be working on that I thought was a reasonable amount of work or that my daily commitment around the place I'm trying to get better, having a check-in on that and seeing the value of that check-in. I remember my very first full, that's my second session was the first time we had a check-in on how we were making progress. And it had been two weeks and I hadn't done anything on what I was supposed to do. And I, uh, I said to the group, I was honest. I said, well, I, you guys don't know me. I could sit here and lie and just tell you I made progress on that thing I said I was going to do, but I can't even bring myself to do that. And I'm not gonna, but I didn't do it. And, you know, the value of knowing that your response to that was, well, that's okay. Do you think you can do it for next time? Or do you think you need to change your approach? Or what do you do differently to make sure that you can get something done before the next session? The power in that freedom of I wasn't in trouble, but I was given help and assistance to develop something, you know, a different set of expectations so that I could make the goal next time, even though it was lowering the bar was endlessly powerful. And we now use that same check-in system with all of our team. And that same, no judgment, no punishment, no, you're not in trouble if you don't do it. It's that you're doing it because you want to. And if you don't succeed in doing it, let's find a better way to succeed as opposed to what did you do wrong? It's bad. You know, it's it's life-changing. Oh, that's that's uh, that's incredible. I don't even remember you showing up at the second session having not completed what you said you were going to do. I, I remember so many things you did say, and I, I think it's really powerful that distinction of, you know, not having that that shaming or punishment or anything like that. Our tendency sometimes as leaders is to, even if we know we shouldn't do that, to do a little bit of that, and yet everyone means well, right? Uh, people want to move forward on the things they want to move forward on, and it's really about the power of community, right? Of how do we create the culture and community, not only within the academy, but even more importantly, you within the organization of create the culture and the community where people want to move forward. And when there's an obstacle that comes up, it's probably for a pretty good reason. Like you were trying, you know, something came up with a partner or something came up that wasn't expected. And like, how do we work around that versus, you know, getting back to leading, <laughs> lagging and leading indicators, right? Exactly. Rather than focusing on like, oh, what didn't work? Like, what's the leading thing we can do now to shift in order to get to the place we need to go given the change in context. And I think it's huge that you've, you've zeroed in on that. Uh, what's different now, you know, two years into this process of being really intentional about doing the commitments and thinking about the long-term vision for you and the organization, what does it look like different than it would, did, you know, two years ago? 
I started Advisors for Change and I worked by myself for the first eight years. And I said, I, I love working by myself. I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm happy being alone. And when I made the decision to change my mind on that and, and expand the, the organization to hire more people and bring on Tristan as a partner and bring on my husband as a partner and really be intentional about growing it into more than just me, myself and I, the hardest part for me was how to help other people do what I do because I didn't know how I did what I did. And so when I came to the academy, I still had very little awareness about how do I actually get the work done and inviting the group to come together as a group to share goals and then share successes and share challenges with each other was really transformational. I had one person who had been working on a certification program for a year and hadn't gotten the certification. I had another person who wanted that certification. And when we implemented that new way of doing it, they both stuck with it much more than they ever had and got the certification six months later. So it changed how we worked together. It changed how each of us worked alone. And I think overall, the main difference for me is the space I have in my life that I didn't have before I came to the academy. And that was one of my year one goals was to stop working so much. I have teenage children. I'm now thinking about the fact they're going to leave and go to college and that I don't want to miss my chance to hang out with them. And it was one of my large goals was to also have the space to not be working so much that I didn't have space to think about where the business needed to go. So I think that being able to have the space to breathe because the people on the team feel trusted and empowered to do their work is a 180 degrees different than where we were when I was constantly monitoring, supervising, managing details, micromanaging in their business, managing all the relationships. Uh, and giving giving them more agency has given me more agency and the whole dynamic is much more relaxed. We're still intense workers, but we are more relaxed in terms of our just overall stress level and our work-life balance is much, much better. I also love the what Simon Sinek would say, start with why, right? You know yeah. your why. And not only for the business, but you know it for yourself of getting to spend more time with your kids at this point in your family's life where things will be different in a few years. They'll be off to college. And that's a driving why for you. And it really, I think like we all need that. We all need to know what's our why. And then the tactical stuff we do comes out from that. And, and you've really zeroed in on that why in order to have some wonderful things come out of it for the organization and to empower others and help them learn and grow. It's, it's just, it's so cool to see that have happened in practice. It's, and it's, it's hard to put into a quick story how different it is. But I'm, when I started Advisors for Change, I worked for a year with a, an amazing coach. She was a life coach and a business coach. And she really helped me understand what was driving me into starting my own business in the first place. And one of the things, there were many things she said that stuck with me, but one of them was you find the right teacher at the right time. You just have to be open to who they are and let them in. And 
when I heard your podcast the first time, I, I said, this is it. Dave's my new teacher. And then I realized the podcast wasn't enough. And I'm extremely grateful to you for everything you've done to help me reframe how I think about the work. And another thing that first teacher said was, you're in a fog. There's nothing wrong with it. You just can't see as clearly as you might. And the work you do on yourself to understand your why helps to clear the fog. And I feel like you don't know what the fog is when it's there because you don't know what you're not seeing. And I thought I was seeing as clear as day two years ago. And now I can see all the fog that was still there. Yeah. And I'm just so excited to, to keep that process going of getting more and more clarity about you know the best way to get the work done. Because ultimately our work, what motivates everyone on my team is that our work impacts the nonprofit organizations we serve and they're able to focus on their missions. And that's what keeps us all coming back to work every day is the fact that we're able to help this wide variety of organizations that are doing amazing work. And three years ago, we were helping 15 organizations a year. Now we're helping 50. Wow. And it just, it's so rewarding yeah. on, on so many levels. I thank you for the kind words. I just feel so privileged to have had the chance to work with you and everyone in the academy. And you know what? what is interesting, Amy, is when this started, I don't know why this didn't occur to me, but it just didn't occur to me that our academy would help our podcast get better. And because of the situations that I hear about from, from you and from your colleagues and other folks in the academy, you know, that then informs what are the questions I ask on the show? Um, what guests do we bring on? What are the, the struggles folks are having? And it's just been, it's been a great joy for me, not only just to be able to see um, all the movement that you and everyone else has had in our work, but also just to see how many wonderful things have come out of that. And you, in turn, have just done, you've on several occasions given me great suggestions that have, that have now morphed into the structure of how we do the academy and, and getting better. And also part of it is listener and coach and facilitator. And like all of us are able to step into those different roles at different times when it's right. Like when there's something I know that you don't, like the teacher part might show up. And same thing for you, right? Teaching me something. And I think that that's such a strength of our community. So thank you for just being such an important part of that. I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Oh, thank you. So we've tackled a lot of ground here. So let me see if I can summarize some of the, at least the past episodes we referred to. So for those who want to dive in like you did, Amy, of going back on some of these, we can get you set in the right direction. So first of all, we mentioned Michael Bungay-Stanier, The Coaching Habit. He comes up on just about every Saturday cast. It's such an important book. If you haven't looked into The Coaching Habit yet, that's in episode 237. We also mentioned the work of Lisa Cummings and how to use StrengthsFinder effectively. We talked about that in episode 293. If you've used StrengthsFinder in your organization, but you haven't necessarily taken the next step, uh, episode 293 is a great overview of how to do that. We talked about Chris McChesney on on the four disciplines of execution, uh, his work at Franklin Covey on how to move the numbers in your organization. That's episode 294. And let's see who else we mentioned. Kim Scott, uh, how to challenge directly and care personally. I love that she puts both of those things together up front. That's episode 302. And then Amy, you mentioned Jeff Hittenberger uh, from the uh, Orange County Department of Education. He's the uh, chief academic officer. And on episode 326, we talked about growth mindset, how it helps you rise from the ashes. And he talked about how uh, they use books within the Department of Education in order to get folks moving on something significant that year. So 
All of those are on the website, so I'll link up to all that. Before I let you go, Amy, I am curious, and the question I often ask people at the end of course is, what have you changed your mind on? And as you reflect on the last few years, what have you changed your mind on? I think the thing I've changed my mind on the most is the concept of transparency. In accounting, there's the concept of internal controls and that you have to have multiple people in transactions in order to prevent fraud. And the light of day test always stands as, you know, if you're not sure whether it's ethical or not, you know, would you would you tell your mother that you're doing it? That's kind of been the, the transparency standard that I've always worked with, which is fairly limited. And I have to say, like, the power of having our team share first their goals, second their challenges, you know, third their successes has really changed my view about the value of transparency within an organization. It has bled into the work with our nonprofit partners too, and seeing that in this day and age, the more transparency we can build into the financial systems, the more organizations are willing to share financial information with staff members, with their team, it can transform the way that that people interact with the information and understand the organization. So not, I'm not so radical that I'm all the way to everyone should know everyone's salary necessarily. <laughs> I think that's, you know, obviously it takes a, a very specific uh, set of expectations, but I am at the point where I feel like the more transparent you can be, even at a high level, about what's going on financially, the more it's going to benefit everyone in the organization and the more it serves as a model for how you can have transparency at the program level, at the on the fundraising side. I think when people live in the dark or like live in silos, it's just demotivating. And so the fact that it was terrifying for my team to they were like, share my goals. Why would any, why is that anyone else's business? But once we did that and people learned that they could trust each other and that it was actually exciting and they could cheerlead for each other. And it just created such a wave of cycle of positive energy for all of us. I just see that replicating itself everywhere that we're able to kind of shed light and make a process or a system more transparent. Well, thank you for being such a great example of that transparency, Amy. And for those who would like to connect with Amy and perhaps discover more, we're going to link up to her LinkedIn profile here in the show notes. We'll have that in the weekly leadership guide this week. And if you're uh, running a nonprofit and are looking for resources or maybe to get pointed in the right direction, advisorsforchange.com is a great place to go to find out more about Amy's work and her organization, and also to see all the smiling faces of the folks on the website. I love the photo you have of just your whole team. You know, you can see that that transparency and that servant leadership that so many of you bring. So thank you, Amy, for everything. I'm, uh, I'm so grateful for it. Thank you, Dave. It's been great to talk to you, and I will continue to be <laughs> an active participant in the Academy for a long time to come. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you, Amy. And hey, I've got a question for you. Uh, have you yet taken the first step? Maybe it's to learn about the Academy, but maybe it's just to get started with your free membership on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't, I'm inviting you to do that and activate your free membership. It'll give you access to the entire episode library since 2011, searchable by topic, including all the Saturday casts. You can ask, access those directly. Plus, you'll get my weekly leadership guide, the personal library, 
the free audio course, and a lot more. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com to set that up. And the Saturday cast was brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. You can discover more about the Academy and get alerted when we open up the Academy for applications for membership. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy, or you can just hit the little Academy button on the top of the website. That'll take you there as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Amy again, and see you on Monday for our next regular episode. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care.